Augustine here, very good. Um, that's, what, that's what Jesus is doing. He's, he's trying to show us something about the kingdom of God. And particular, particularly what he's talking about is, is the, 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 the now and the not yet kingdom of God. The now and the not yet of the kingdom of God. So what does that mean? What does the now and the not yet mean? Well, let me explain. So last year, uh, we, went to, we went to France for holidays. And somebody had a good idea, thought it would be a good idea, to fly to Paris. It was definitely my Fly to Paris with two kids and then drive a couple hundred miles in the night to get to where we're going. Turns out it wasn't a very good idea. And I was, yeah, I got speeding tickets and all of that. But um, so we got to France, we got to Paris, and it was busy. It's one of the busiest airports in the world, and there's a massive queue the car around the place. And basically, we were driving for eight hours during the night, didn't arrive until like nearly three o'clock in the morning. And so I was driving and driving and driving, and everybody else is sleeping in the car. And I was just like thinking, we're like, are we ever going to get there? And that's kind of like how the kingdom is for us, right? We're, we're in France, but we haven't, we haven't yet got our holiday park, you know what I mean? We're there, but we're still on the journey. We're in France, but we're not yet at that place of rest beside the swimming pool. That's, that's where I want to be. Um, and, and that's what Jesus talked about in this parable. He said that, that in this life, we are in this period between between Jesus coming and his second coming. We are saved now, yes, of course we are, but we haven't fully entered the kingdom yet. So how are we supposed to live? That's what the question that, that Jesus is answering in this parable. And this is what he's saying, it's up on the slide, it's up on the screen. He said, don't stop praying and don't lose heart because God will deliver his people. Don't stop praying and don't lose heart because God will deliver his people. Think, think what a message that we need to hear in the world right now. Don't stop praying, don't lose heart. So I'm going to pray for us before we, we get into this passage. And God will help us hear him and understand. Uh, Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you you speak to us. Uh, we are just like children and we need everything explained really simply to us. So, uh, Holy Spirit, we know you're with us and we just pray that you make these words come alive and connect our hearts this morning so we can be changed to follow you more and to be more like Jesus. Amen. Uh, really simply, I want to keep this simple and short. Uh, there's there's three three uh, parts to this passage that I want to look at. Firstly, the context that now and not yet. Uh, then there's the contrast between God and the judge. God is faithful and patient. And then the challenge. And the challenge: Will Jesus find faith when He returns? So, firstly, the context. While we wait for Jesus' return, we persevere through prayer. That's what we're doing. We're waiting for Jesus to return, aren't we? So, uh, in chapter 17, just before this, this, this part, remember, like, the, this book wasn't written with chapters and verses. They've been put in a long way to help us reference things and help us find our place in the Bible. Um, but Luke, who wrote this gospel, he's just been recording about Jesus talking to his disciples about the kingdom of God. And Jesus basically said, Listen, lads, I, I'm going away for a while. This isn't going to happen straight away. All these things I've been sending you, that's not going to happen straight away. I'm going away and it's going to be a while before I come back. And he knows the disciples and he knows how easily, he knows these guys, how easily to get downhearted. He knows if he goes away for a while, how easy it be for these boys to, to give up. And so he says to them, there's only one way you're going to get through this. And that's to pray and not lose heart. Jesus knows how easy we can walk. How many times have you asked me while I was on your back? Sorry. How, how many times have you asked me while we felt like giving up? 
Jesus knows how easily we give up. And so he says, listen, in the meantime, as you wait for my return, keep praying and don't lose heart. In the now and the not yet of the kingdom, keep praying. Now, it's always handy for me when uh, the passage tells us what the parable means. That's pretty good. And here it does in verse 1. If you have keep your Bible open, it says, um, uh, And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always to pray and not lose heart. That's what Jesus is saying. Don't stop praying. Don't lose heart. You see, this is what it is like for us. We're in that now and not yet. We're in the France, but we haven't yet arrived at our holy destination. We're in the kingdom, but the kingdom hasn't fully come yet. I sometimes talk about it like a, a house being built. So if a house is being built and the foundations are there, you can actually go into the house. You can stand in the house. Technically, you're in the house. But you can't live in it yet. You can't fully live in it yet because the house isn't fully built. That's kind of uh, what the kingdom of God is like. We're in it now, but it hasn't yet been fulfilled. And in fact, the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 2 that, that, that we are seated in the heavenly realms with Christ. We are seated in the heavenly realms with Christ. So if you're a Christian, that is your current situation. You are in the heavenly realms of Christ. That's, that's your guaranteed position. That is real for you right now. And so we live the values of the kingdom of God here on earth, right here and right now. So, so we give sacrificially, we care for the poor, we're anti-racist, we're anti-oppression. We proclaim the good news of Jesus. We live these things here and now because we are, in a real way, in the kingdom of God. But we also know that the kingdom of God hasn't fully come yet. How do we know that? Well, because if we go to Revelation, the Bible tells us what, what the, the, the fulfillment of the kingdom of God looked like. It's going to be this, this, this garden, city, temple that will cover the whole earth and, and we will live in perfect harmony with creation and we'll live in perfect communion with each other and we'll live uh, fully alive in the presence of our Creator God, continually in perfect worship of Jesus. That's what the kingdom of God is like. Is that what we live now? No, that's not what we live now. And so we know that we are in this in-between stage. We're in the now and not yet. And when Jesus returns, he will come and establish that kingdom forever. And so he says, listen, in the meantime, as you wait for this coming, as you wait for the coming of the kingdom, don't stop praying. Don't lose hearts. So why does he say this? Why is this the instruction that he gives his disciples? Why does he give these, these guys who he knows? He knows their human hearts like us. And he knows they can give up. Why does he say that? What is it about prayer? Well, I think the message he's trying to convey here was, and I think there's two problems that can happen. There's two mistakes we make, right? There's lots of mistakes we make, but in this area, there's two mistakes I think we make. Firstly, we think that, um, we, we think that God will solve all our problems here and now, don't we? We think, oh well, uh, you know, you just said it. You know, I'm in the kingdom of God, so after all, why wouldn't God make everything perfect for me? Why, why wouldn't he take away all my problems? You know, I'm sitting in the heavenly realms, so, so, so why, why do I still suffer? Why, why am I in pain? Or why do I grieve? Or why do I have depression? Or why do I have money problems? But the problem is that God never promises that to his people. God never promises us an easy life. In fact, if we're Christians and we're obeying God, he promises us the opposite. That we're going to face persecution. We're going to, we're going to face trials. For Christians, like I mentioned earlier, the, the path to glory is just like Jesus, isn't it? Glory comes through suffering. We follow Jesus' example in that. And one day, God will take away all our pain and all our suffering. He, and we'll come back to that later, but that doesn't necessarily mean He's going to do that for us right now. Okay. 
So that's one mistake. We think that the goal is so water pumps are there. The other mistake is if we go the other end of the, 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 the pendulum scale and we say, well, it doesn't seem like Jesus is coming any time soon, so might as well give up. Like, uh, Jesus has, uh, the coming of Jesus is so far away that it doesn't actually impact my life here and now. I, I, I often say, like, you know, we sometimes walk around like Jesus actually hasn't risen from the dead. We do that a lot. We sometimes live like Jesus isn't actually coming back. A lot of the time we all live like Jesus isn't coming back. Our focus is so on the, just on the earthly things. Am I, am, I, am, I, am I going to get the perfect house to live? Am I going to have the perfect job? Am I going to have the perfect family? I'm so worried about these things which, which last for such a short period of time. Not those things are important, but we can't, we can't just give up and think that this is all there is. And so that's the two problems. We either think that God's going to solve all our problems here and now, or that, that we might as well just give up. Because it seems like Jesus is never coming back. And so, what's the solution? Well, I think this is what Jesus is teaching on here. There are two problems but one solution. The solution is to live a praying life and to not lose heart. The, the, the solution is, to, is, is prayer, to live a praying life. And that's how we persevere until Jesus returns. We live, we live a prayerful life. How easily do we give up and, and get downhearted? How easily... I mean, I think about my life, like, I, I far more, far more often worry than I do pray. It's probably the same for all of us. Like, I'll spend a whole day worrying about something, but I should probably pray about that. Finally, I should probably pray about that. Or maybe you go from one end of the week to the next, and the only time you pray is maybe send a quick risk of wheat dinner. And I'm saying that, I know what happens, because I know how easy it is for me to be like that. And so we find ourselves downhearted, we find ourselves without faith, we find ourselves not able to make sense of the world around us because we don't live praying lives. And Jesus says, listen, life will be so much better if you just pray. In fact, Jesus says, if you want to survive this life, if, you, if you're going to get through this time between, between my first coming and my final coming, prayer is essential. Don't stop praying and don't lose heart. Live a praying life. Now, as I was thinking about this week, it occurred to me that it's okay for me to go up here and say that, to say, uh, listen, you need to live a praying life, turn over, go home. Um, but then I realized most of us, a lot of us struggle with prayer because we don't really understand what prayer is. I, I think I'm right in saying that. Uh, and you can tell me afterwards, maybe you're an excellent praying person, that's great, teach me how to do it. Um, but I would hazard a guess that for most of us, Especially for us, those of us that haven't walked with Jesus for a long time, prayer is like a chore, or we think it's something hard to do instead of being a delight. And so I want to spend a few minutes talking about prayer and what prayer is. Uh, if we're to live a prayer life, we need to understand it, okay? And, and so I've got, I've got these five lessons I want to share about prayer. This is a, a list of, of, of things that I got from Alistair Bay, but I've, I've adapted them for us, um, for our context. So, um, the first one then is, it's kind of five things that, that we do in prayer. So in prayer, we offer up our desires to God. We offer up our desires to God. So that's just simply just telling God what you want. It's that easy. That's how I teach Finney to pray. Just tell God what you want. Tell God what you need. How do you feel about a certain situation? Lord, you know, I, I really, really want to get that job. So it's okay. Even this week in our WhatsApp, somebody was praying, hey, pray for, pray for me and go for a job interview. Yeah, of course. You want, you want that? I'm going to pray for that too. 
Lord, I really want this relationship to work out. Lord, I, I'm really worried about money. Can you please help me? The Bible tells us to do this. Psalm 62 verse 8 says, Trust in Him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before Him. That's what we do. In prayer, we're just asking God what we need. We pour out our hearts. It's like I say to family, just you can tell God whatever's on your mind at any time, day or night, and you can ask Him for what you want and what you need. That's what God wants us to do. So prayer is offering up our desires to God. It's that simple. Secondly then, prayer, in prayer we surrender to God's will. That's just a fancy way of, of saying that we, we allow God to be God. Uh, and this is a key part of praying. Uh, just saying to God, listen God, I want this, but I know that it's not about what I want. I want what you want, so your will be done. This is how Jesus taught us to pray, isn't it? And the Lord's prayer, he says, hey, pray like this. Pray, uh, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. And this is how we see Jesus praying, even uh, the night before he died in the garden. What was he doing? He was in the garden praying three times. He says, take this away from me, Lord, but, but, but nevertheless, not my will be done, but your will be done. Just the Son friend the Father, your will be put first. It's about asking God for, for what we want and what we need, but recognizing that, that we have a Father who knows best. That what we want isn't always the best thing for us. Like if, if me and Haley gave our kids uh, every single thing they asked for, they wouldn't be very healthy. They'd probably have no teeth. They'd never wear clothes for a start. And they'd be most teeny all the time. They would not be very healthy till at all. And so uh, our Father is with us. He knows that everything we ask for isn't necessarily the best thing. And so we say, Lord, you know best. You're God and I know. So we submit to God's will. Thirdly then, in prayer, we enter into conversation with God. Having a conversation, having a chat with God. Is this how you think, if you, is this how you think of prayer? Just having a chat with God? Um, I think the tempting thing for us is most of the time we go, we think of prayer like a shopping list, don't we? We go, uh, God, uh, please help me with this, I need this, I need this, amen. Turn off the light, let's sleep. Uh, I'm talking about Finley, I'm up today, that's what he does. He's like, uh, you know, please help me sleep well tonight, thank you for my food. Uh, from where they go, that's it, done. Um, and there's something lovely about that, but at the same time, if you're an adult Christian praying that way, you probably haven't entered into this conversation with God. I mean, do you know that God actually wants to talk to you? That God loves you? He cares? That He actually wants to spend time with you? Do you know that? Have you realized that? Psalm 27. Listen, if you're, if you're thinking about prayer, uh, just go to the Psalms. That's basically what it is a big, a big book of prayers. Psalm 27 verse 8 says, You have said, seek my face. That's God said. God said, seek my face. And so my heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. This is actually God saying to David, listen, I want you to seek my face. To, to be in my presence. To speak to me face to face. God is saying to us, he says to you, he loves you. Uh, come close to me. I want to be face to face in conversation with you. God loves you and he wants to talk to you. Prayer isn't just us talking to God, by the way, it's Him talking to us too. So, so prayer is uh, asking God what we need, it's, it's, it's surrendering His will, and it's entering into conversation with Him, but it's also uh, in prayer we practice the presence of God. What does this mean? It means that when we pray, we're actually uh, being in, in God's presence, being with God. That's just what being in the presence of God. Sometimes person use fancy words, but being in the presence of God just means being with God, just, just being with Him. I don't know if it's a reverend, but it's a bit like sin just hanging out. That's what it is. 
Psalm 27 goes on to say, One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. That's the psalmist. He's just saying, I, I, I want to be with you, Lord. I want to spend time with you. I want to be near you. I want to be in your presence. And by spending time in her, it's a way of, it's a way of showing God that we want to be with him. We want to be with him. I wonder if you look at your life right now, does it look like, yeah, I want to be with God? I wonder. It's a longing for the kingdom of God to come and we'll be perfectly with God forever. That's what we're doing. Practice that presence by saying practice in the presence. Because that's what we're rehearsing what we'll do forever in the presence of God. And finally, and fifthly, the fifth thing. In prayer, we experience the peace of God. And that's the key. I love that's the key. Uh, in Philippians chapter 4, it tells us, uh, don't worry about everything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need. Thank Him for what He has done. And then you will experience the peace of God that passes understanding. It's that simple. Tell God what you need. Thank Him for what He has done. And then you experience peace. And some of them, I know we've probably all experienced that. We finally do pray about something. Get our peace in God, it's supposed to make sense. And I think that most of the time we probably do more worrying than we do praying, don't we? I certainly do. And the truth is, we, we often don't know the peace of God because we don't pray. How much more peace would we have in our lives if instead of worrying or complaining or gossiping, we just pray? We just said, we just said, Lord, what do you think about this situation? Or that person, you know, what about that person in my relationship with or, or whatever it may be. Ask God for what we need. Thank Him for what He has done. And just submit to His will. He knows better than us. And then we receive that peace. And so this, those five things, hopefully that starts to give you some help as you think about prayer. That it's not confusing, it's not hard, it's not difficult. It's those, it's those five simple things that the Bible tells it is. And that's what it means to be in a, 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 to, to live a praying life, as Jesus tells us in this parable. It's just continually going through our days. And every situation is right. Asking for God for what we want and submitting to His will. Being in continual conversation with God. I sometimes just, you know, when I'm especially when I'm driving or on a bike, just chat away to God. Like, oh, what, do you, what do you think about that? Lord, are you really, is that really what you want me to do in that situation? Lord, say, now they're doing my head and help me. That's, that's often not a prayer of mine. Especially when I'm um, it's, it's a bit like it's a bit like me being it's a bit like me being at home with Haley, right? Um, I just I just don't set aside time to pray, to talk to her every day. That may be weird if I was like, right Haley, you look at five minutes, no go, let's go. Maybe time's up. Sorry, Haley, yeah, go, go, get on. We don't do that in human relationships. It'd be weird. What kind of relationship would that be? Yeah, of course we have set times that we, we spend together, that we go on dates and or we did before the this all happened, and, and, and of course there are times when we sit down specifically to talk about certain things. Of course we do that, but most of the time, most of the time it's just an ongoing conversation as we're in the house together. It pops under your head and you say it. Not always, that's a bad thing in Don't just say whatever comes in your head. That's right, And sometimes it's just an ongoing conversation, sometimes it's big stuff that comes out of the blue, and sometimes, most of the time it's just small stuff. And most of the time, it's not even talking about anything particular. It's just enjoying being together. And that's what a praying life looks like. Yes, there are times when we, we go into our room, we close the door and we pray. We, we go for a walk and we pray. We sit down and read our Bible and we pray. Of course. Of course. But the, life, the praying life is a continual 
being in the presence of God, speaking with God. And even if it's just been, even if it's been a while since you've done that, he's not going to turn you away. It's not like you oh, where'd you come? Where have you been? No, he's just delighted that you're there. This is what the praying life looks like. And this is, this is how we're to live, Jesus says, as we wait for him to come back. Listen, don't stop praying and don't lose heart. Because the world is hard. The life's going to seem hard. It's going to seem to you like I'm gone for a really, really long time. Even though for me it's just like a day. But, but, but just keep praying and don't lose heart. I'm with you. So that's the context. And now and not yet. Don't stop praying and don't lose heart. Secondly, the contrast then. And this is really about God being patient and promising that he will deliver his people. Uh, I kind of have to admit that when I came to, to study this parable this week, um, I just kind of assumed, um, and maybe you did as well, that, that we were supposed to be like the widow here, um, just banging on God's door until he changes his mind and gives us what he wants. That's, that's kind of how I just always assumed how, how that parable was. Uh, and, but as I studied it this week, I don't think that's what Jesus is saying here at all. Jesus tells us this story of this, this horrible judge and his poor widow to contrast between the horrible judge and himself, who is perfectly good. They're, they're completely opposite, and that's kind of the point of the story. Now, we don't know what was going on with this, this poor widow. Uh, Jesus doesn't tell us the details, and we obviously don't need to know. But from the fact that, that this is a widow go before a judge, we, we, we can work out a few things. Um, back in those days in, in the ancient Near East, widows were almost always at the bottom of the barrel socially. Like they, they were, they were, if a woman's husband died, she basically lost all her financial and social security. She had nothing. She had nobody to represent her in society, and so she was often just an outcast. Um, and actually, like I was studying this stuff, and actually widows were often sold into slavery to, to pay off maybe their husband had debts or something like that. And these were young women as well, most of the time young women, because women married in their teens, and, and maybe the husband was old and he died, so she's a young woman in her 30s, and, and suddenly she's like in a situation, a long time still to live, but a hopeless situation. Um, often if they inherited land from their, or, or property from their husband, People would try and cheat them out of that, like a cousin or something would come in and try and cheat them out of that, uh, because they had no one to represent them in court. You weren't, you, men were supposed to go to court and do the, do the talking, which is what's so uh, absurd about the story that Jesus tells. And he's making this point, he's saying, listen, this woman is helpless, she's weak, she's poor, she's in need, she's the picture of helplessness. In that society, that was the picture of helplessness that and the judge, well, the judge, he's not a good guy at all, right? It says, Jesus says he doesn't fear God, he doesn't take care of people. Uh, and and in, in the ancient Jewish culture, to say that someone doesn't fear God, that's probably about the worst thing you could say about somebody. He's an absolute lowlife. He doesn't care about people. He's powerful, but he doesn't use his power for good. He's the kind of guy who's just in it for the power and for the money, right? He's just sitting back there, smoking his cigars, drinking his brandy, and just getting his big fat paycheck. He just loves telling people what to do. That's the kind of guy he is. The judges were supposed to protect widows. They were supposed to make sure that the justice was done and they got the inheritance their, their husband left for them. They were supposed to make sure they weren't sold into slavery. And this guy is going completely against God's law. He's the kind of guy that he doesn't even care if people say bad things about him because it's too powerful, it doesn't affect him. He's like, say whatever you want. 
I don't, I don't care. I'm humble all that. And this poor widow, she decides to, to seek justice for herself. She's got nothing to lose. She's literally the bottom of the barrel. She's got nothing to lose, so what's the worst can happen? So she starts pestering him. She's outside his office every day when he comes out of work. She, she's texting him all the time. She's sending him emails and letters, the whole thing. She's just determined day after day, after day to get the justice she deserves. And eventually, this selfish, uh, self-centered man uh, gives her the justice that's deserved of her just to get some peace. The language in here in the Greek is funny. It says, like, beat her down. It's literally like, um, she's giving me a headache. And that's how we would describe it. She's giving me a headache. Just give me a headpiece. I just want to get rid of her. That's what's going on here. My dad is the same. My dad was not like this judge, but there's a funny thing. Uh, he, sometimes when we meet like Naga for stuff, he would just be like, yeah, I'm for a quiet life. And just do what we wanted to. Like, I just want to get back and watch him daily. That paints him really bad light. It's actually a delightful man. Uh, but when this judge finally does give the women justice, it's only motivated by his own self interest. Are you starting to get the picture of what this guy was like? Even when he does the right thing, he's only thinking about himself. But here's the thing, we're not meant to focus on the judge. He's not the focus on the story, he's not the point of the story. Jesus shows us this judge so that he can contrast this evil judge with the goodness of God. We're meant to focus on God. Listen to what Jesus says in verses 6 and 7. He says, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect? Cry to him day and night. Will he delay long over them? And will not God give justice to his elect, his chosen people, his chosen ones he loves? Jesus is saying, Listen, look, look at this guy, look how selfish he is. Even he eventually gave the way of justice. So, how much more will God, who is patient and kind and, and just and good, deliver his chosen people he loves? Then how much more will God perfect Even a self-centered guy like this judge will give justice. How much more will God, your heavenly Father, give you justice? When it was, was being addressed, she wants this guy to give him, use his authority to give her help. And that's us. We're with him. We're weak, we're poor, and nobody speaks up for us. There's nobody to plead our case. We're completely helpless. But we're not begging an unjust, evil judge to give us justice. We have the ear of our Father who has chosen us. There's a reason why Jesus uses the word elect in there. To show us that he's chosen us. God has chosen you. And if he's chosen you, why would he not listen to you? Why would he not deliver you? Her source of hope, her only source of help is the judge. But our only source of help is God, our Father, who loves us and is eager to help us. Listen, God is for you. Do you know that? You need to hear that. You need to believe that. God is for you. And Jesus is not saying that if, like, well, if you can wear this guy out like, a, like this woman did, then you might be able to wear God out and so just give you what you want. That's not what he's saying. He's teaching this parable to show us that God is different from the judge. The judge doesn't care about people. The judge doesn't help the helpless. And Jesus is saying that we can persevere until he returns because God does care for us. That God does give justice. He has chosen us to be his people and he will deliver us. And here's the thing. 
we can have confidence in, in living this praying life because God will deliver his chosen people. He will. And this changes everything. Once, if, if, if we know that God is our good Father, and we know that He has promised to deliver us, then we don't have to be like a widow, badgering God, God let me in and give me what I want, give me what I need. But what we do is we get to be in continual conversation with God, knowing that we're safe in the knowledge, knowing that, that, that He is for us and He will deliver us. So do we continually ask God for what we need? Yes, of course we do. We absolutely do. But we're not nagging God to change his mind. We're continually asking God for what we need, knowing that he is good. Knowing that he listens to us. Knowing that we're his children. Uh, we continue to come to God in prayer, asking for what we need, because we know that God is eager to help, knowing that he will deliver us. Uh, the other night, uh, I, I often bribe my kids. I don't know if alternative. I bribe them all the time. Uh, so, the other night I said, uh, does that make me sound bad or is that just normal parenting? Just normal, okay. So, uh, the other night, they weren't really eating their dinner and I said, right, if you eat your dinner, you can have my stories. So they have my stories, that's great. So they did a good job eating their dinner and as, even before Abigail, who's uh, two and a half, before she had finished the last bite, she was still going, I get my story, I get my story, and she was badgering me the whole way through clearing the table doing this is I get my story. And Finley knew it's a bit older now, and he knows us better, he knows being healing, he knows that we always keep our word. He was just a, he was just able to wait. He was just able to, to trust the promise of his father. Trust that his father would keep his promise, that he would receive that gift that was promised to him. And that's the difference of, of, of a mature believer and an immature believer. Are we nagging God to get what we want? Are we faithful just to sit in conversation with him in his presence, trusting he will deliver his promises? And so we pray, not, not like a nagging two-year-old, but as a mature child who simply trusts their father's word. And this is why when we pray, we say, God, I want this, but your will be done. That's why prayer is about conversation and being in God's presence. And maybe, maybe you've been in a situation where you've been praying for something for a long time. And it seems like God isn't answering. And maybe you feel like, God, what are you doing? Like, why are you not answering me? Where are you? Well, maybe you're asking for the wrong thing. I, I think often it's when it seems like God isn't answering our prayers, it's because we're praying for the wrong thing. And part of that process of making us wait is so that our hearts are changed. And when we want something, we're in desperation. That's when we, we fall in that trap of treating God like a genie. Uh, that we just have to, you don't say magic words to the genie, what do you do? You rub the, rub the lamp. We just rub the lamp the right way down and go around our wishes. That's not what happens. Prayer isn't a shopping list and God isn't a vending machine. In prayer, we just surrender to God's will, including His time. And sometimes, most of the time, we're not seeing the big picture. We're consumed with these small things that we want, we think we need. I want this, I need this right now. And we've forgotten that, 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 that this is about God bringing about his kingdom in the world. And that our lives are part of that. And, and everything we go through, the good and the bad, it is all leading us towards that point where we'd be with God perfect forever. And listen, I'm really not trying to take away from your problems. Uh, the pain you, you feel is real, the hurt you have is real, the trail you have is real, the money problems you have is real, whatever it is, it is real. You should tell God about that. Pour out your heart to Him. But what I'm saying is that as you do that, you might find that the answer you get is not what you expect. You might actually find that it's your heart that changes, not your circumstances. 
See, Jesus knew he was going away for a while. And he knew that we would fall into one of those two problems. And so he says, he says, I will deliver you. God will deliver you. Keep praying with all his heart. And there's one more thing about this I want to address before we move on to our final bit. Maybe you're thinking, well, this all sounds great. Um, God has promised to deliver us, and he's bringing his kingdom and perfect justice and peace to the world. Well, how come I look around the world and I still see it? Why is Jesus taking so long? Why is God taking so long? Why does God just not end it now? I think Jesus tells us here in verses 7 and 8. Listen to what he says. He says, And will not God give justice to his elect, his chosen ones, who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Now, this can be a bit confusing, just the way it's, it's worded in our Bible, but, but here's, what, here's what Jesus is saying. When he says, will God delay over them? He's talking about God's patience. He said, how much more will God give justice to his people? Is he not patient? That's really what he's saying. Is he not patient? God is patient in bringing justice into the world. He delays bringing his kingdom because he is patient. Could God end it now? Could God bring perfect peace and justice? Could he, could he stop all the oppression? All the pain, all the hurt? Yes. And, and we want that because we're, we're, we're um, impatient. Everything is now, now, now. We, we get annoyed of even like uh, the computer vibrator was being slow and I was like getting annoyed. Just come with me for a drive the car and we'll see how impatient I am. We just don't know how to be patient. And we look around and we see um, so much pain and hurt and injustice in the world. Even this week, just being the people who, who suffered it just at the hands of evil people doing horrible things to them. And I'm like, Lord, where are you in this? Lord, how long can you keep how long can you keep this going? How long will people continue to be attacked because of the colour of their skin? How long are, are women going to be oppressed and abused? How long are our children going to be sold into slavery? How long will we see evil men control and oppress people? Or how long? Just just bring your justice now. And that's probably the hardest piece of this tension that we live in in our okay, isn't it? But here's the thing. God is patient, and, and God delays in bringing his kingdom because there are still people outside the kingdom. Jesus hasn't come back yet because there are still people who need to know him. And if it seems like it's taken Jesus a long time, remember those people who you love that don't know him yet and pray for him because that's why God delays. Because there's people that still he wants to bring into the kingdom and haven't come into the kingdom. It's because of his kindness and his patience that it seems like it's taken him a long time. And so yes, of course we pray, and we live these prayer lives, and we pray, how long, O Lord, come Lord Jesus. But we do know that God will bring his justice. He will save his people, and so we can endure, we can persevere. We pray for those people that don't know Jesus, that they would come into the kingdom. And so, while we wait for the kingdom of God to come, we live this praying life, not demanding our own way, just patiently trusting that God will bring us home. And one day all the suffering will be ended. And in the meantime, we don't stop praying. We don't lose heart because God will deliver his people. He is patient and he is good. And so the context of, and the contrast, that's the, the now and not yet, that don't stop praying, and the contrast between this evil judge and God will deliver his chosen people. And then it brings us to our final part, final few minutes here. 
Just this challenge that Jesus leaves at the end, right? This is what he says at the end of verse 8. He's explaining all this, listen, go away, and you need to be patient. I have patience, so you need to persevere in prayer. You need to not lose heart. And then he says, uh, I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Let's go. He's, he's coming suddenly, he's coming soon. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the on earth? God find faith, will the Son of Man and Jesus find faith when he comes? Will God deliver his people? The question is, yes, of course he will, absolutely. But will he find faithful people? God is faithful to answer his promise, but is he going to find faithful people when he does come home? You see, this encouragement is an, or this parable is an encouragement to, for us to continually pray until Jesus comes back, to live that praying life and to not lose heart. And then when Jesus says, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? He said, when I come back, am I going to find that my disciples have kept praying, and that, or have they just lost heart and give up? You see, a praying life is evidence of faith. A praying life is evidence of just persevering in faith. Prayer and faith go hand in hand. They really do. Uh, uh, I was reading something by John Piper, and he put it like this. He, he actually says, he describes it like a furnace. And a furnace needs coal shoveled into it to keep it going. And on a steam chamber and he says, faith is the furnace of our lives. Its fuel is the grace of God. And the divinely appointed shovel for feeding the burner is prayer. So if you lose heart and lay down the shovel and you stop praying, the fire will work and you will grow cold. And this makes sense. We are the bride of Christ. We are, we, we, we are uh, Jesus' husband, uh, wife. And imagine trying to maintain a marriage without talking to each other, without uh, telling each other your desires, without submitting to each other, without spending time with each other. That marriage would soon grow cold, wouldn't last. Life without prayer is like marriage without conversation. It just grows cold and dies. And when Jesus comes back, the test won't be, well, how many gatherings did you come to? How, 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 how much were you a part of your mission community? Um, when did you get baptized? Do you remember the date of that? Do you remember the verses? None of those things are going to be the test. The test will be whether you lived a praying life and didn't lose heart. That's what Jesus is looking for. Jesus calls us his chosen ones. And one of the things that defines us as his chosen ones, you know what sets us apart from the world? It's that we're a praying people. Continually in the presence of God, continually praying day and night. Don't stop praying and don't lose heart. Prayer is essential for us. And so, this is our challenge, the challenge that Jesus gives to us this morning. When he comes back, is he going to find faith? Will he find people of prayer? Will he find people who don't stop praying and don't give up? I wonder if we say that of us in this church. Are we going to be, pray, keep, are we going to be people who keep praying? These are the characteristics of us, God's children. And as we wait for him to return, we're praying people. And so finally, I just want to finish with this one thought. If we are to continue in prayer, if we are to not lose, lose heart, how do we do that? How can we keep going and not lose heart? Well, the answer is Jesus, obviously, because the answer is always Jesus. Uh, listen to this. Listen to what Hebrews 4, verses 14 and 16 say. It says, uh, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, that means he's, he's come to earth. He's, he's entered the, the earthly realm. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. Let's hold the faith. Let's keep the faith. 
For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We remember Jesus, we keep the faith, and we pray. That's it. We just enter God's presence, we pray, and then we find mercy and grace to help in time of need. We can trust God that God will deliver his people because God has delivered his people. We know that Jesus will keep his promise uh, to come back one day because by giving himself up to die on the cross, he proved that he keeps his promises. All of the Old Testament is, is the promise of this Messiah coming. When he died on the cross, he proved that that's who he is. And when God raised him from the dead, God was like God put his stamp of authority on him and said, See, he is the one who keeps his promises. There is nothing he cannot do. He, he's, he's defeated your worst enemy. He is the Lord. And so we continue to pray about his heart. And the only reason we can persevere and continue praying is, is because of Jesus. Because through that death of the cross, that's what he was for ascending. And he's opened up a way for us to approach God. We can pray. We can be in the presence of God. We can keep the faith. And so that's my encouragement. This is not something we... Don't think that was like a chore we have to do. This is something we get to do. Because we are God's chosen people. He wants to be in your presence. He longs to be close to you. Isn't that credible? That Jesus wants to be close to you. So, because of Jesus, we can boldly approach God. Because of Jesus, we can just continually pray and be in conversation with God. So, my prayer is that that's the kind of church we'd be, that's the kind of people we'd be, just waiting for God's return. God is for us. He's our helper. He will deliver us. So, don't, don't worry. Just keep praying. Don't lose heart, because God will deliver His people. Uh, I'm going to pray for us tonight, and uh, Tom's going to come and Thank you that you never leave us, that you promised to be with us at the end of the age, that, that you gave us your Holy Spirit so you would always be with us. And Father, we need to confess probably that we're not praying people, that often there's small periods of time when we're not in your presence and we're not speaking to you. And Father, I just pray that you would uh, give us, this church, uh, that spirit of prayer. We would learn how to just be bringing everything to you. That we would stop worrying so much. That we would stop gossiping so much. That we would stop. Uh, that we would stop thinking about ourselves so much and just bring everything to you. Knowing that you're good. You're so good. We know you're good because you died for us. Lord. Help us to remember that. Help us to remember that the sacrifice of Jesus proves that you are good. And help us to just continue on and not lose heart. Until you come, we say, Lord, we do, we want you to come. We say, come, Lord Jesus, and the injustice. But Lord, we submit to your will and your time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Amen.